Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, months, probably months, it's months, right? We've been in a a series called The Upside Down Kingdom, and it was based in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we concluded that last week. And we received a lot of questions, a lot of great questions over our text line. And again, if you have questions, our text line will come up if you're online um, watching us this morning. The possibility you can, you can text in your questions, even in the room here, you can text us questions. Um, we at no point believe that we have the corner on everything that is right. And so, and which you guys remind us of each week as we get questions and, and thoughts and other perspectives on what we're teaching. And we invite that. And I just want you to know that you're invited to those questions. I'm not sure that this message lends itself to a lot of questions. It's not overly complex. Um, but for those of you who have been with us, this, this series has um, really given us a, a great look into um, how Jesus envisioned the kingdom of God playing itself out in the world. And, um, and in this moment in time in history, we kind of are in a, I don't know, odd moment in history, if you um, at all are a studier of culture or history. And what I want to talk about this morning is, is hope. And it's a tricky thing, hope is, because it can be momentary, it can be fleeting. Um, it could be just the hope that I make it through the day, or hope in hope itself. Or uh, hope oftentimes gets misconstrued with wishful thinking. Yeah? Hmm. I hope... I make it through the day. We, we throw the word around, um, um, sometimes just in casual conversation. But in, in the Bible, it's, it's often grouped with faith, hope, and love. Though there's something about hope that brings about um, a spiritual component to us as humans. And so I want to talk about that. It has some built-in optimism component to it. So if you're a natural pessimist, optimism comes harder. If you're a natural optimist, I haven't met a lot of optimists lately, um, it might come easier. But it is, it is to lean into this idea, and hope by definition is, the expectation of something good. It's the something in us expects something good to come or to happen. And, and so, a little, a little bit of context. I, uh, this last week, uh, my mom turned 85. And so, her three living children went to visit her in West Virginia, and we spent some time together. And her, she, her mind's really sharp. So, physically, she's failing, but her mind's all there. And so, we had a lot of conversations just around reminiscing. We reminisced about our upbringing and 
our dad and our other brother, and it was sad, and it was fun, and it was um, a lot of just fond memories. And I, and I hope you have context in which you could do this with an 85-year-old mother. And in, that, in those moments of conversation, she would talk a lot about the 1970s. And I was a teenager in the 70s, so were my siblings. And the 70s had um, hold memories of us doing things together on family vacations. We would snowmobile together. We would, that's riding, never mind, snowmobiling in Tennessee makes no sense. But uh, think skiing with motors. Um, but anyway, all, that, all of these memories came flooding back to her. And, um, and the other part of the conversation with my mom was she, she's fearful of the future for my grandkids and my kids. Not so much for us, we're getting older. Um, and, but there's a sense of what's the world gonna look like 40 years from now? And so, as we were talking and we were having that conversation, I said, Mom, I said, do you remember the 70s? And she said, yeah, I remember the 70s. I said, no, I mean, do you remember the 70s? And she smiled and she said, yeah, it was a great time for us. And she fixated on all the good things about the 70s. And I said, do you remember what happened in the 70s? And she said, Kinda. And I said, do you remember what happened? There was, a, we came into the 70s in a war in Vietnam. Oh yeah, I remember that. And I said, do you remember who the president was at the beginning of the 70s? She thought for a second, she said, Nixon. I said, yeah, Nixon. Oh yeah. <laughs> do you remember Watergate, mom? Oh yeah, I remember Watergate. And we started to talk about what was going on in the 60s, 70s. And, we, and I said, do you, do you remember that he resigned? Yeah, I remember that. And, I remember, do you remember interest rates in the 70s? Yeah, we had to buy a house in the 70s, she said. We paid over 10% interest on our mortgage. I said, oh, that sounds very familiar. I said, do you remember what was going on in the civil rights movement in the 70s? Yeah, there was a lot of picketing and, oh, so yeah. I said, do you know that the 70s when you look back, oh yeah, don't forget gas prices in the 70s and gas lines. Those of you in the room, you probably could come up with a few more, right? The 70s was very, 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 very similar to what we're going through right now. And what you remembered, Mom, was just the good stuff. See, something happens in us as we reflect. Now, we've gone through a lot of cycles since then as a country. We've gone through cycles of good. We've gone through cycles of not so good. We've gone through economic downturns, economic booms. We've gone through all kinds of things. But in the 70s, the church responded to the way the world was in a particular way. I remember because it scared me half to death. They produced movies called The Thief in the Night. Anybody? Yeah, okay, I've got an amen over here. Thief in the Night was designed specifically to, to, um, to, for preteens and teens to be scared that they're going to die and go to hell. That's what it was for. And, or that Jesus was going to return and leave us behind. This, you, for those of you who are younger, remember the Left Behind series. No? Yeah? You can say yes to any of these. Classic. Classic. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
Um, all with some sort of design to get us to, to do what? To be afraid. The design was fear. And it worked. Um, not only was that part of the response of the church to the times, it was the Billy Graham Crusades and the great big crusades were happening in the 70s. And the answer to the question for the church was, we've got to get as many people saved as humanly possible. Humanly, I said that distinctly. So we put all our efforts into making conversions for people so they would come to faith, so they wouldn't be left behind, so they wouldn't spend eternity in a place of torture. That was the motive during those troubled times. But I remember the angst. I remember the fear. I lived through that. I lived through a season in which the church was really afraid. And it's interesting to live through it a, a second time. As now that I'm older and have perspective and, you know, even talk to people that are older than me, my uh, mother-in-law is 91 years old and she lived through, and she was born in 31, so she has some recollection of the depression. And, and, and she just relates everything to what they lived through during the depression. And so everything's always good. Doesn't matter what's going on, it's better than that. And so perspective is part of, part of the blessing of age. But it's also, also part of the understanding of hope, I think. Because we can often find ourselves in a hopeless place if we don't have perspective. Because a lot of what we're experiencing is momentary and temporary. This is a moment in time. This is a blip on the screen. This is a small section of history in a small country, in a place that oftentimes thinks it's the epicenter of all of life. And we find ourselves sometimes losing hope in the midst of all of that. And so, you know, if you watch the news, if you read the news, if you are paying attention, if you have a Facebook page, Lord have mercy, if you um, do social media at all, the goal of that is to make sure that we know how well everybody else is doing. And we turn into a comparison. It has a way of sapping something from us. Well, here's the thing I want to tell you this morning is the world has always been this way, going all the way back. And it goes through cycles. It goes through good seasons and bad seasons. A country goes through good seasons and bad seasons. A church goes through good seasons and bad seasons. And it goes through those seasons, oftentimes, with, with wringing hands and trying to figure out what the human solution is to the problem that they face. And I want to read for you a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 3, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And... And this, I set it up for you just before I read it, is, is that Paul is writing to his protege, his name is Timothy, and Apostle Paul planted these churches around in the, in the Mediterranean area. And as he planted those churches, he would often send a friend out, a, a guy that he worked with and trained with that was probably with him when he planted the church to encourage the churches. 
And Timothy and Paul are separated. Paul is in prison, and he's writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him in the ministry. And he writes this in the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. I just want to comment about a couple of phrases in this, this not the list. The list is pretty obvious. That's pretty self-explanatory. You probably go, oh, I know people like this. Or you may go, I'm kind of like that. That's not the point. The point is, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Oftentimes when we read the word last days, we are, we are thinking of the imminent return of Christ and the end of the world. So how could Paul be writing that back 2,000 years ago and describe the process so clearly of what is happening around us now 2,000 years ago? There will be terrible times in the last days. Just, just two quick thoughts on this. The Bible speaks of the end of, of time over and over and over again. This is just one of those moments. And... And the idea behind that, I believe, is, is that people would live as though they would be aware of the end. And that faith would play into this idea that Jesus could come back in my lifetime. Otherwise, we live with very little urgency. The second part of it is, is our lives are really short in the scheme of things. Even my 85-year-old mother's life isn't real long. 85 years is is but a blink in history. And our lives are often lived in our last days, and we don't even know it. And with that, there is this, this okay, sobriety that comes with the brevity of life. Our lives are short, so we should live as though these are our last days at least in anticipation of the last days. But Paul continues. He contrasts this a little bit. But the other thing I want to say about this is, okay, last days, but the other thing is, is that this list often referred to as um, a description of culture, not a sin list of individuals. Like, you can read that through and you go, okay, they're, they're out of control, they're unforgiving, but... In tendency, what he's saying is, is that the, the humanity is building to this. Not just the individual is building to this. So it's not like a sin list of, that you would run through and go, yeah, I assign that to each person. This is more of a cultural overflow of the heart. And, and with that, I would say, we begin to recognize the principalities of the day. Paul writes of a different kind of list in Galatians 5, and I, I didn't put this up on the screen, but it's, it's almost the exact opposite. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forbearance, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. It's like the exact opposite. And so oftentimes when I've read this passage in the past, I've just chalked it up to having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. But he's, he's talking about not just people in the world, but he's talking about people in the church. There's a form of godliness that's attached to something that looks like this, but they deny the power of God in it. So it's, it's not just a picture of what's going on outside of us. It's a picture of what's going on within us. Rather than lovers of God, they have a form of godliness but deny its power. It's empty religion. It reveals itself in empty living. It's revealed in selfishness. That's the scary part. It kind of makes me go, yikes, because you can sometimes see it and feel it. With all the reports that are coming out about the American church right now, and if you haven't read them, I encourage you to read them because it's sobering. It's power unchecked within the church. It's power uh, used for ungodly purposes and shrouded in the darkness. Now, Paul reminds his friend of something in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 17. And listen to how he speaks to his relationship with him. This is, this is one of those um, important parts of this. He says, you, however, now he's saying this again to Timothy. We're in chapter 3, verse 10. Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? Those are all cities where he planted churches. The persecutions I endured. So there's this intimate relationship. He's, he's been with him. He knows him. He knows his way of life. He knows what he's done. So there's, it goes beyond a, a conversation. It goes beyond just listening to his preaching. It goes into this arena of, you know me, and you know me well. And then verse 12, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, so the shift, he shifts off himself, and he shifts now to Timothy, to us. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. This is a great phrase. I just want to dwell on this passage, this moment, just, just to let this sink in. Our hope is rooted in something we are convinced of. Our hope is rooted in something beyond wishful thinking. Our hope stands in contrast to all the circumstances that are happening around us. If we find ourselves in a hopeless place, if we find ourselves looking around at all that is happening and going, Lord have mercy, which is a great phrase. But we look to the future and we see nothing good. We've, we've now fixated on what is temporary and are missing ultimately what is eternal. And with that comes a loss of 
a loss of hope. And when we lose hope, we lose our energy for anything around what God is doing. Because we don't even see him as a possibility of a solution to the problem that we face. He goes on to say, and how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I want to invite you into this thought. How often do we let the circumstances of life determine our hope? I know it definitely determines my joy. How often do we sit in a place where we, we watch the news or we look at the circumstances around us, we look at the condition of our country, we look at the, the ongoing battles that are taking place, and rather than what wells up in us is a love for our neighbor, what wells up for us is an anger. The logic saying in your mind over and over again, if people would just believe like I do, this would go away. And the illusion that is. The illusion somehow in us is if I can just get everybody to think the same, believe the same, they would all act the same. And all the conflict would go away. Yeah. If one thing the longevity of my life has taught me is that it never goes away. The world's broken. I know, newsflash, right? The world is broken, but it's been broken since the Garden of Eden. It's been broken. So what are we to do? That's, that's the question. I think we've been talking about what we are to do for the last six months. We are to bring the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. We are to somehow enter into this world in such a way that we invert it. See, the difference between the 1970s and this era of history for the church is this. The church in the 1970s thought, we need to rescue as many people as we can in the, in the simplest way we can, in as big a quantities as we can. Unfortunately, the church has taken a different tactic this time. We will enter into the political fray in such a way that we will legislate it, which I find fascinating. because it forces us to choose sides in a battle that doesn't solve it. Another great thing about being as old as I am and talking to my mom, who's much older, is that it doesn't, it, the political parties in our country ebb and flow and they change and they war and they yell at each other. I can think of a whole lot of other words and, and they disagree and they do all those things and they fight over some of the minutia of of our world that we live in, but they've been fighting since they've been put in place. And, it, and you get a season of one brand or another. 
It's the way our country works or doesn't work, depending upon your perspective. And so to enter into the political realm in and of itself isn't a problem. The problem is, is when the church becomes aligned with a particular side and we, and we make enemies of the other side because we want to impose what we think is right on the church. It doesn't matter if you're left or right on that. It's imposing, if the church is aligned on one side or the other, it's imposing its will on the other side with a power over structure, which is the exact opposite of the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be involved in politics. What it means is, is that it's not the answer to the question. If the question is, and I think actually the question is the wrong question, if, if we're asking the question, how do we fix this broken world that we live in? How do we fix it? That's the wrong question. You can't fix it. It's not fixable from a human perspective. It's only fixable from a divine perspective. What we're supposed to do is bring the kingdom of God to that broken world, not so that it's fixed, but so that the people experience the divine. Because once you sell a bill of goods that it'll be fixed, you're selling snake oil. It can't be fixed apart from it all starting over. And you're going, this is on hope, Kevin? <laughs> yeah. Because the moment you place your hope in it being fixed, you will lose your hope. If the hope is, as I can look down the line, this is the conversation with my mom, 40 years from now, we have no idea what the world's going to look like 40 years from now down the road from now. No idea. If you'd have told me it would look like this when I was living in the 70s, I would say, no, we'll learn from our mistakes. We will not repeat this cycle. We won't do the same things over and over again. That's placing my hope in the intelligence of man to do the right thing. <laughs> Bad idea. Because given the opportunity to exploit power, people exploit power. And it's shown itself over and over and over again. We're entering into another Cold War with Russia. How did that happen? Because people are so intelligent and they're moving towards the right thing and they'll make good choices? I know, that was really sarcastic and it wasn't necessary. But in the 70s, the Cold War was at its height. So what is the call to us? I, I want to share with you a couple of verses. One's from 1 Thessalonians 4, 
It's verses 9 through 12. Again, Paul writing to the church now. He's writing to the church, and he says, Now about your love for one another. We do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do all of God's family, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Those are strange words to put together. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Usually ambition is not attached to quiet life. Usually ambition is attached to a noisy life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. What? Are you telling me to be lazy? No, he kind of at the end of that says so that you will not take care of yourself. Work with your hands. Be about what, taking care of your family. Do that work, but do it in such a way that it earns the respect of the people around you so that they start identifying with what is happening in your life that is a day in, day out, working out of one's faith. That fascinates me, that verse. I have, I've often thought about it. To make it my ambition to lead a quiet life. A few weeks ago, Mike talked about the platform and how the platform has a way, like being, building a platform, building influence, building, and how the greater that gets, the more insulated the person is from, from being held accountable. This, this just speaks in total opposition of that. No matter what is going on in the world, wars, rumors of wars, economic struggles, uncertainty, inept government, government abuses, you fill in the blank, church abuses, no matter what's going on, live your life in such a way that it exposes the kingdom of God. Another verse I want to take you to is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And, and Peter, again, speaking to the church, he says to the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You want to talk about hope. It's embedded in this, those phrases. He says in verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And then verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans, another word to use there is the Gentiles, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. No matter what's going on in the world, this is the call of us. This is the invitation. The invitation is to take that kingdom of God into the world because we know that fixing the world is not the right question and also trying to fix the world with the systems of the world won't work. Keep living in the kingdom. True life is found in the kingdom of God. If we just keep looking at the condition of the world, 
fear begins to grip us. It enters in. And we will lose sight of our neighbors. We will lose sight of loving them. We will lose sight of what ultimately is most important because they become the problem. They become the competition. Our neighbors are easy to vilify. For whatever reason, they just are. If we understand the condition of the world and its natural tendency, that's the first place of beginning to understand hope. Because the cyclical nature of the world is going to continue to happen. Fixing it by worldly ways is not going to solve the problem. Better government isn't going to solve the problem. Better laws isn't going to solve the problem. Kingdom of God is going to solve the problem. It isn't going to fix the world this side of Jesus' return, but it does this. It allows people to catch a glimpse of what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor and love God. The whole law is boiled down to those two phrases. Love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look, the gospel is pretty simple, but carrying that out is extremely difficult when all around you screams something else. So as a community of Jesus followers, our hope is not going to be found in the temporary circumstances around you. I told you this message was really simple. But here's the dilemma, is that our hope is so easily stolen from us by our fixation of what is happening currently around us. There's a simple verse in the Bible that says this, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's only one immovable faith object that has always been the same and always will be the same, and his name is Jesus. And faith in something that is always the same, with the same purpose, the same goals, the same underlying principles of life, allows for hope to abound because we know that the future is not contingent upon fixing what is broken. It is contingent upon my willingness to lean into that faith, into that God who invites me into a life that brings that kingdom into the world. When I see the kingdom go forward, when I exercise loving my neighbor when it would be easier to vilify them, when I see someone else in the community of the faith saying, you know what, I'm going to choose to love rather than to hate. I'm going to choose to love rather than be indifferent. I'm going to, I'm going to care for the orphan and the widow. I'm going to do what is called religion in the name of Jesus. I'm going to do this in such a way not to build a platform for myself, but merely so that the world could see what respectable living looks like, what it is to live a good life among the people around me in such a way that they see Jesus. That's hope. That gives me hope. Because the expectation of something good is to see what Jesus values permeate a group of people in such a way that it extends itself beyond itself. 
So the answer to the question, what do we do as aliens and foreigners in this world, as people that don't belong here, we belong to a different kingdom? And the answer to that question is this, to live out the kingdom. We are to be people of mercy. We are to be people of integrity. We are to be people who love our neighbors. We are people who are supposed to endure hardship. We are supposed to be people who have hope, people who live quiet lives, people who love our neighbors and love God. Not because the world is going in the right direction or somehow this will make the world go in the right direction. I'm telling you, if that's the measuring stick based upon which you will have hope, you won't have hope. But if you see it in light of the kingdom, you will find yourself going, oh, there is hope. And being able to do it in a context of community says we're not alone. You're not alone. We're not alone. Alone is defeating to hope. But you're not. It's why we do the table. It's why we try to engage people in relationship. It's why we're, we're trying as best we can to be as transparent and vulnerable as possible so that people see the value of knowing us and knowing each other. And that I fail in, in this all the time. There's days that I lose hope. Those days are the days that I watch the news. Because this world sometimes is just hard to love. And I can snap myself out of it a little bit by praying for my enemies, <laughs> pray for those who persecute me, and I pray that my heart would not be filled with fear for what is to come, but I would live into the kingdom of God in the present, knowing that as the kingdom of God is displayed, it bears fruit. It just does. And the other thing is true is that the 70s give me hope because <laughs> that was jacked up times. <laughs> and yet here we are. Here we are, still asking the same questions, still looking at the same broken world, asking questions. How did it get like this? <laughs> it's always been like this. It's always been like this. And if you're like 20 years old or 15 years old, you're like, it's always been like this? Mm -hmm. And when you're my age, you're going to go, yeah, it's always been like this. And so my hope has to be in something far more concrete than the condition of the world. We're going to go to the tape, go to the stations. And if you're new with us, stations are kind of a thing that we do. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come up. Uh, and there's four of them positioned around the room. And at each one, there's communion is there. So we celebrate communion as an open table. Um, if you're, if you're, um, if you prefer to just take up. Uh, there's an all-contained little thing you pick up over there, or you can take the bread, dip it in you, the juice that is at each of these tables, and, uh, and celebrate communion. You take it back to your table, you can stand in the back. But what I, um, we also have a place over there where you can pick up a pen, there's pieces of paper, and you can write some prayers down. We pray over those every week. We communicate them with our prayer team, and we communicate them with our elders, and we pray. 
Um, and it's been very instructive for us to know what is on your hearts and on your minds and um, what you're struggling with. And I appreciate that. It's, that's part of the community that we live in. It's part of this community that we call Journey. And it's informed us. It's informed us on how to do some podcasts. It's informed us on how to do um, some of this preaching that we're doing. And part of the reason this came up is that hope has been a recurring theme, is we want to invite you into hopeful living. And with that, though, what we would like to know, and I, what I would like to know as I pray for you, is what is the greatest hindrance or the biggest block to your hope? What is the biggest obstacle to your hope? If you could write that down. Um, it's also good just to write it down and speak it out. For me, the greatest obstacle to my hope is getting caught on the circumstances of the world condition. I look around the world and I see wars, I see rumors of wars, I see uh, the deterioration of the, peop the, the culture in which I live, all those things. And I find myself going, this is bad, and I lose hope. I'm curious, maybe, maybe you lose hope in a different way. Maybe your hope is, is lost because you can't see beyond what is your current life circumstance, a divorce, uh, uh, whatever it might be. So we invite you to write those down. It's also a place to give at the stations, but there's, we're going to give you these moments during these three songs to move around the room. So again, if you're new and you want to take communion, go to one of the stations. If you want to write something down, go to one of the stations. Because this is, we want to know. And we want you to know that it's important to us that we pray over you. Let me pray, and then the band will lead us in some music. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the truth of the fact that the only consistent throughout all of life is you. That things change. The world around us is in turmoil. People are going to go from bad to worse. People are going to struggle with power and all these things. And you call us as your people to live out the kingdom in their midst, in our midst, with one another. Lord, help us. That's my prayer this morning, is help us. Because we want to see hope in this world. We want to see and be bolstered and go, yes, I can see your mercy playing itself out. I can see your grace. I can see because I'm a participant and I see the people that I'm part of their community is loving their neighbor, encouraging others, walking with the orphan and the widow. May we find ourselves aligned with the upside down kingdom, the kingdom of God where power is not to be wielded over people, but as a leveraged service and given away. May we find ourselves there, for there is where we will find our hope. For you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. Amen.